Hey, my name is Kyle, and this is the Orphan Care Network podcast. At the Orphan Care Network, we believe that the church is uniquely positioned to care for families that care for the orphan and at-risk children. Visit orphancarenetwork.org for ways that we can engage your church to support families in your congregation and community. A few weeks ago, I sat down with my friend Jamie Sandifer and talked to her about life as a foster and adoptive mother, how she got involved into foster care and adoption, the impact it had on her family, and how it influenced her to write a children's book that serves as a really phenomenal resource. Her book, Love You From Right Here, is available right now in its second edition at Amazon.com, Target.com, and most places that you can buy books from. Hey, Jamie. How are you? Good. Hey, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us on the podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you today. Yeah, me too. Okay. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in foster care and kind of what that journey looked like for your family? Yeah, okay. Um, In 2014, I was in a place in my life where I was feeling sort of unfulfilled, just not, I felt like something was missing, but I didn't know what it was. So, um, our pastor was preaching on hospitality in first Peter, and he was talking about different ways Christians could be hospitable. And he said, you could host families over for dinner. You could host foreign exchange students. And he said, in my personal opinion is the most beautiful picture of hospitality is foster care. And in that moment, it was kind of like a light bulb for me, like, that that was what we were supposed to do, which was surprising because we were involved with all these families at church who were fostering and adopting, and it had never clicked with me that, that it could be for us. You know, I was their biggest cheerleader. I would pray for them, encourage them, bring them welcome baskets when they got a placement. But for some reason, it just wasn't clicking that it was for us. So in that moment, I felt like God had already been working on my heart to be open to what he was calling us to do. And then when our pastor preached about it, I felt like it was definitely the next step. So I called my husband and talked through it all. We asked some friends some questions and we just really felt like we were supposed to move forward. So we uh, found an agency in the area, got started on paperwork and were licensed within three months. So in 2012, if someone asked you if you would be a foster parent, like you're like, that's not for us. They kind of like came out of nowhere just from a sermon. Yes, absolutely. I just, it never had clicked with me that it's something we could do. It felt like another world. It felt like something for other people. You know, even adoption had never been, you know, you hear people that say they had adoption on their hearts forever. It hadn't been on mine. I was not opposed to it. It just wasn't something that was ever something I thought about for us. So yeah, it was in an instant, which I think is just the beauty of God and how he works that he can change your heart for exactly what he has for you in that moment. <clears throat> yeah. So how did that phone call with your husband go? Really good. We had enough friends who were actively fostering where I could say in, you know, relating to them, Oh, my friend says this, or I've heard this. And so, um, it wasn't like, I, I don't know. I think I'm constantly surprising him with new things that we should do and try. So I don't know that he was surprised uh, per se, but he did ask questions. Um, But we've been married 17 years at that time. You know, it was 12 years, I guess. So um, we just trust each other, you know, and I know that that not every situation is like that. I know sometimes it takes a long time for spouses to get on board, 
But for whatever reason, you know, I have to believe that God was working in his heart too, knowing that, um, that it was just something we were supposed to do next. And our kids at that time, our biological kids were 10 and eight. So they were at an age where they were becoming more independent. We had less to do, you know, um, keeping them in line. So I think we were both probably looking for something, um, to have our family be part of ministry wise. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, when you see spouses, sometimes, uh, you hear about husbands that it takes a long time for a wife to win over. Um, so that's incredible that you guys were on the same page. So it takes you guys three months to get licensed. And then, uh, what happens then? Uh, we had a few calls the first two weeks that we said yes to, but we just weren't chosen for whatever reason. And then um, we were placed with our first placement two weeks in, and she was three years old, and we were actually her fifth move. <clears throat> and on top of that, she was coming from um, another foster home that was not a good fit. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of fears, you know, like, our, we were very scared, nervous. <laughs> in mm-hmm. fact, the first night she came, you know how they come in the middle of the night? They came at like 10 o'clock and... Um, her brother was actually able to come with her and help get her settled before he went to where he was going to be placed because we weren't able to take both of them. So when they came in, um, the caseworker and my husband went to the table to do paperwork and I was helping her get situated and we, um, were getting her ready for bed and me and her and her brother went to the bathroom, um, to brush her teeth. And so I pulled out, you know, the little toiletry bags that the rainbow room has for CPS workers. She had brought one of those and I pulled out what looked like toothpaste and I put it on her little toothbrush and right as she went to put it in her mouth, her brother said, uh, I think that's soap. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm already feel I'm scared. I'm thinking this caseworker's in the next room. She's never going to leave this child with me. (laughs) I'm about to brush her teeth with soap. So that was how we got started with our first placement. Um, but then I went better. The little boy helped me read a book to her and she was asleep before he even left, which was such a great way to transition. She didn't have to have a hard goodbye that night. Um, and she was with us for seven months. Um, and in that time, so about 30 days in with having her, I was kind of at my wits end feeling like, how do I encourage this little girl? How do I reassure her that I'm different from all the places she's been even the foster homes, you know, all the strangers, I'm a new stranger, but how am I a different stranger and how can I comfort her? So I went on social media and I asked for help, you know, anybody give me advice. And I had a friend message me and say, Jamie, you need to find a book that says exactly what you want to say to her, read it to her every night. And before she, if she leaves, write your name in the back of it and send it with her. So I thought that was a great idea. So I went looking on Amazon and found some cute, at the time there weren't as many foster care resources as there are now, but uh, found some cute books, but nothing that said exactly what I wanted to say. So it was another light bulb moment where I never, ever, ever imagined writing a book or being an author or anything like that, where I felt like if I'm looking for this book, someone else is probably looking for this book. And so we've got to make this book. So, um, the libel moment was, I've just got to write it. And I felt like God gave me the words to say, it's not a really wordy book. It's not 
super um, serious. I feel like the illustrations along with the words give it enough, enough depth to spur healthy conversations. But it's also simple enough where a young child can be read to and not launch into triggers, you know. <clears throat> and we thought about that with every illustration. We wanted um, each illustration to not trigger the child um, with what they'd been through. Was that your only placement or did you have multiple placements after that? We had eight placements total in those four years. Um, and one of them we ended up adopting. And most of them went back home to family. One of them, I believe, went to another adoptive home, or two of them did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I know a big part of your book is, um, you know, uh, pictures and things like that to send with, you know, information um, to send with the child so they can reflect back on their time they spent at your home. Uh, has that has that helped you stay in touch with any of the kids that um, were in your house and then out of your house? Or have you seen like the other side of that? So by the time we published the book, we were on our last placement. And so when she was adopted, I actually brought the book to her as her adoption book. So I didn't get to use the book while the kids were with me. Um, mm -hmm. But I did stay in touch with most of them through Facebook and texting and stuff if I was able to connect with them. Yeah. <laughs> That's really but, cool. Yeah. But the book, the book that's been used for other people act, you know, with an active placement, sending it with them when they leave. I have heard amazing stories of people saying it was very cathartic for them. You know, a lot of times we have big challenges with the kids in our care. We love them, but there's also challenges. And so one mom said, you know, filling out the back of the book, before the child leave was very cathartic because it helped her remember and focus on the good and the loving times that they had. And it, it sort of overshadowed all the hard times and it, it sort of brought peace to saying goodbye to that child and, and giving that child a piece of their history. Because my hope for this book, like you said, the back of the book is a keepsake section. So there's places to put pictures, places to journal about the time with the kid. There's places to document. <clears throat> there's simple little writing prompts to help encourage you with putting what did the kid like to eat? What did they like to do? Who did they love to see? Where did they love to go? Those kind of things that, that many children growing up in normal family lives have through scrapbooks or whatever. Mm -hmm memories they can call their mom and say hey mom you know how was I when I was a kid some of these kids don't have that so my hope with the keepsake section is that the book the memories will be a light in a possibly very dark time for a child so that they can look back and say oh there was good in my life there were people in my in my life that loved me and I can't wait for years from now to hear from children to see how it, I know it will impact them. I believe in this book so much. So I just mm -hmm. can't wait to hear how it impacted them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a, a couple of things. I mean, I, I know that anytime kids left our house, it was always very sudden. So then what happens is the night before CPS is going to come pick kids up and um, take them back to their home or to a relative or to something like that, where we're going to Walgreens to print out pictures because our printer's always out of ink and all of that stuff. So 
um, you know, because we want to send something. We want to. We want to. We want to honor this time that we've had with these kids, uh, and then you know, so it's always something that we just kind of threw together. So something like your book, you know, kind of helps put like program to that, you know, and like what you said, it kind of helps walk a parent through that because it's the other thing is I think about how many foster parents send a kid home and then they're just, it's almost like, it's almost like, um, being on a train that stops all at once because you have this kid with you and then all of a sudden the kid's not there. Um, so having something like that where you're filling it out and kind of remembering all those things, I think that's incredibly valuable. I think that's incredibly valuable. Yeah, and, and I hope that the book, I hope that the book at least spurs that thought process. You don't have to buy this book to do that. You can do that on your own. You can go use any kind of other photo book making sources. My hope with, with having this resource out there is that it encourages families to just do something. Even if all you can do and all you have time for is to write a letter to the new placement or to the family that they're going back to, telling them things about that child and their time with them to help, you know, what a, what a blessing that would be to the next family to know, oh, they don't like peas. I probably shouldn't try that. Or, or they're allergic to something or they loved peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. something that brought them comfort so that you can help the next parent parent the child better so that the child has less traumatic transitioning to go through. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and two, I, you know, I also think about, so our youngest son we adopted through foster care and we were probably his sixth, fifth or sixth placement. And we got him when he was eight months old and we had some pictures of him before um, but we were able to find the other foster families and some of them we knew. It was just a really weird situation. But anyway, we ended up getting pictures from those times when he didn't, when he like wasn't our kid, but it was like so, it was incredible for us to go and like look at that time. And I coupled that with, I was at a conference a couple weeks ago and I, on this panel, there was a bio mom, a mom whose kids had, went to foster care and then she really like got her life together and figured things out and then got her kids back. So it was incredible to hear, you know, kind of the other side, you know, we always talk with foster parents and, um, you know, things like that. So to be able to, t- to hear the other side and then to think about like, how do we as foster parents honor the parents, honor the bio parents in a way that, uh, that is helpful for when they go back. So, you know, imagine, your kid has been away from you for maybe months, you know, like hopefully not, but maybe months. And you've been working like crazy to do all the things that you need to do to make your life better, to have the best life for your kids and all these things. And then you get your kids back and it's like a black hole of time and you have no idea what happened to your kids. To me, I I mean, I just think for me like that, I almost have like a panic attack just thinking about that about being away from my kids um, for a weekend versus not knowing where they were for months. Um, so being able to send something like this home and say, "This is these are the experiences that we had. You know, this is this is what they went through when they were away from you." Um, right, and this is how they were cared for and loved. And you know, as Christians, we want to support 
the biological families and support reunification at all costs until that's no longer an option. So if we can reassure them that while they're, they missed out on that time, their child was safe and their child was loved and look at, like you said, the experiences we had with them, I would hope that would be a comfort to them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so kind of looking back on through foster care, I mean, you know, you had, um, you said eight placements. What do you think prepared you to, uh, to be in the fight for that long? Um, and if you could go back to your first, you know, you've just taken all of your classes and you're ready to go, what would you tell yourself that you, that you didn't know then that you wish that you did? Yeah, those are good questions. I would say while the training our agency gave us was good and, of course, probably the best that they could offer, it doesn't prepare you for the real life, hands-on, you know, firsthand experience you're going to have with dealing with children who've been through trauma. Um, I would say to myself, maybe you should respite a little bit. <laughs> maybe you should um, a day, a few days, a week, you know, see what it's like to have a child who's going through this stuff. Um, I would also tell myself to get connected to support much quicker. Mm-hmm. That took me a long time to realize. And, and maybe I think I believe that's why we were able to foster for the time that we did was because we had people around us, family, friends, church members that just rallied around us and supported us, prayed for us, checked on us. They brought us welcome baskets when we had a placement. You know, we, it's very hard to keep because it's very hard to keep a stock of all the clothes and toys and things that you need for the age range that you're open for. And we at the time we were open for babies and toddlers. And that's a big age range and male or female. So um, every time we got a placement, our church just was amazing and brought us a welcome basket that held us over until we could get more than we needed. And then there's amazing organizations in the area like Hope's Bridge and the Moses Closet that just provided an abundance of diapers and clothes and things like that. So I would say to myself then, needing help is not a sign of failure. Asking for help is not a sign of failure. Um, if we're, if we believe that we're part of the body of Christ and every body has a different role in that body, then we have to believe that it's not just my calling. And that's, that's where I went wrong is I took it on like, this is my calling and I shouldn't burden everyone else with needing to help me and my calling. But that's, that was the wrong perspective because <clears throat> If they're part of the body, then God has called them to support me as a Christian. And so having them not involving them is taking away something that they could be, could be experiencing, getting to know these amazing kids for that. That's a blessing for them. And it's a blessing for the kid because you're helping the child build, um, healthy attachments and relationships that they, you know, this is new for them. So having people involved and support you is I think just crucial to being a good foster parent and helping the child. Um, so I would tell myself that. (laughs) Yeah. So find support early is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. And I would say too, 
that do do all the legwork to get one to two to three people respite certified. It's easy to say, I need respite help. You, you and I know in foster care, all that goes into that. There's, you know, a lot. Right. <laughs> so if you just say, I need someone and someone raises their hand and says, okay, I'll do it. They're not going to know. We've got to walk them through it. We've got to tell them, this is the class you need to go to. This is how long it is. Be prepared. You need CPR. I'll find a class for you. You know, mm -hmm. do what you can do so that, so that the effort is taken off of them and make it easier for them um, to prepare them. I would have done that way earlier. I did not do that first. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you see that a lot where people, okay, so in order to get licensed in Texas, at least you have to have so many babysitters. You have to have, you know, two, you know most agencies won't license you unless you have um, two or three uh, certified babysitters. But what do you do? So you get your mom uh, and your dad. My mom lives four hours away. Um, and so you get these people that will sign up to do it, but probably maybe don't have the capacity or the ability. So you're just kind of checking a box. Um, so, uh, so then you're putting yourself in a position where when you do need, um, to take a breather so that you can parent really, really well, you don't have the ability to do that. And that's nuts. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I think that's a great point. Yeah. And in addition to that, when you... I would say to new foster parents, be prepared for needing a break. You're going to go into it thinking you're different than everybody else. You're going to be able to handle this. You're not going to need a break. You're going to feel like taking a break is a sign of failure. It's not. Um, be prepared for needing that break, needing that respite, so that when you get to that point, you don't feel guilty. You know that that's part of the process. Um, you just need to refresh and have a step away so that you can come back and keep fighting keep doing it. Um, cause you don't want to take a break and then be done indefinitely unless that's, you know, where you are in your season. Right. Right. And, and all the time we see that, right. We see foster parents that go too far, you know, that try to, you know, that believe because this is their calling and they're right to say that it's their calling, but because it's their calling that, um, that they should not care well for themselves. Um, you know, which is just super counterintuitive. You know, if you read through the book of Acts, you see all these people that were around Paul. Mm -hmm. You know, you can like read these different names that are really hard to pronounce. So I don't want to do it in front of people that will be listening. Um, but you have all these people that walked with Paul that did different things so that Paul could do what he did well. And I know that I'm not as good as Paul on a lot of things. So I know that I need help. Um, you know, I think that all foster parents, adoptive parents. And that's, that's the thing too, right? You know, I mean... Um, I know that as a uh, recovered foster parent, we, you know, our youngest son is adopted now, but we still, you know, I mean, post that adoption day, um, some things change, but not everything changes. So the community that we had before, we still have in our family. Do you think that's the same for you or? Yes, definitely. And, and when you adopt, um, you go through, th you go through things with your adopted child that you need other adoptive families to talk through with because they get it. You, you want to say, I don't know if what I'm experiencing is because of what he went through before he came with me, or is this normal behavior? And other adoptive families can kind of validate. Yeah, we've seen that too. Or yes, it very well could be. 
something. You don't want to feel crazy for thinking, is this just because of what he went through? So your book is about to, you're about to do your second edition? Is that yes. Right? Okay. So has anything changed from the first edition to the second edition? Yes. When I wrote the first edition, I kind of had tunnel vision. It was just about my story. So I had my incredible illustrator, Pamela Goodman, illustrate loosely based on the way I look and the way one of our foster children looked. And so it follows the story of one mom and one little girl. And over the course of the years that we've been involved in foster care, I've met so many different families, so many diverse families. I fostered many different diverse children. And so I realized that the first book wasn't um, that an accurate picture of the whole of foster care. So we took the first edition and we kept the story the same and the keepsake section the same. And Pamela changed out all of the characters. So the second book is a completely diverse mix of men, women, boys, and girls to much better show the beauty and the diversity of foster care. And I love it so much. I'm so proud of it. Um, and because all the characters represent people that I know, people that I've walked this journey with foster care and adoptive families that I can say, you know, I couldn't have done it without these people. And so my book is dedicated to all all the people that are represented in the book and all the families that we've, we've just come alongside and known and walked through this journey with, cause you just can't do this alone. It's so important to have those people rally around you and you rally around them. So the book is, um, so like I said, all that is the same. It's just the characters that are different. I'm really excited about it. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, and so, um, the book is best used kind of throughout the placement or is this something that like you would read the story to the child every night, you know, as part of their, their bedtime routine, or is it more something that you would just send with them to the next, their next placement? How do you see the book best being used? Yes, it's definitely best used throughout the placement. <clears throat> um, so the, illustrations show, they basically show the timeline of being placed in the home and then going through the different emotions the child experiences, like sad, mad, uh, angry, uh, fear, nervous, but it also goes through happy and joy. It goes through all those emotions. And then the last, so the first page of the book says, if you're over there, I'll love you from right here. And it shows the child kind of in the doorway coming into the home and the mom sitting on the floor, giving the child some space and time saying, I'll love you while you're where you are. And then throughout the book, it just keeps reiterating that I'll always be right here. I'll, I'll love you from right here. I'll take care of you from right here, those kind of things. And then the last page of the book says, it, the illustration is the child leaving the home in the caseworker's car and the mom standing at the door saying, and if you're over there, I'll still love you from right here. So throughout the book, you're kind of preparing the child even for possibly leaving by reading the book to them every day. And, and you can talk through those healthy conversations so that when you get the call that they're leaving, it's not an abrupt thing in their mind. They, they already know, Oh, my foster mom has been telling me if I leave, she'll still love me. So their, their little hearts are already prepared for that. And then the keepsake section is, I feel like the perfect way to transition them out of your home, because think about it, they're going to go to a new home 
and have to start over, learn all these new people, but they've got this book that they can, they can even reread the story and remember, Oh, I'm still loved. Oh, I'm still, Mm. I'm going to be okay. And then look at the pictures and say, Oh, you know, I was loved. These people are so important in my life. So I feel like it's important throughout the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. And two, I think it's great to have on hand before you even have a placement, because when I, when we were fostering um, our first foster placement, I didn't know what to say to her. I didn't know how to comfort her. I didn't have the words. And I feel like as simple as the words of this book are, it can give that to a foster parent. So it's a resource and a tool. So if you have it on hand and you've got that first night with them and you don't know what to say to them, just read the book. You know, the, the child I've seen, even with my adopted son, we've read the book and they come up with questions that, you know, just spur those healthy conversations. So you don't have to have all the right words and you don't have to give them all the information, even when they ask those hard questions, but you can give them a little bit of peace by answering, um, answering them to an extent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that even preparing, you know, it, it does great things for preparing a kid, but also as a foster parent to kind of, do the same thing to on some level remind yourself that one possible outcome of a kid coming into my house is a kid leaving and going someplace else. Um, so, you know, just kind of reminding yourself of that is, is healthy, I think. Right. And the illustrations, we were very careful with the illustrations to place the, the parent, um, in a place that would, would comfort the child looking. So, so I feel like the book is also a reminder to the parents of how to be a foster parent. You need to give them space. You need to give them Mm -hmm. time. Even as far as touch goes, you need to, you know, wait and see what the child is ready for. You don't know what they've been through physically. Um, And there's even um, what my favorite illustration is where the little child is angry. And because we went through that, one of our foster children was having a meltdown, just throwing things and hitting herself And I didn't know how to react. So I had read um, something about Trump, you know, dealing with kids and trauma. And it had said, if you get on their level, you know, get on your knees or sit on your bottom and put your arms out and you say, I just want to give you a hug. It could break what they're going through mentally. And so I did that. And I was about three feet away from her. And I put my arms out and I said, I just want to give you a hug. And she flinched. And I, it broke my heart that mm. she thought I was going to hurt her. I was so far away from her and I just wanted to offer her a hug. So I said it again. I said, no, I just want to give you a hug. And she ran into my arms sobbing. So, so the book is a picture of hopefully a tool to encourage foster families. These are things you can do. Um, so every little detail was thought out as far as helping foster families and then the children in what they're going through. Yeah. What a great tool in the form of a children's book. You know, you're teaching people trauma informed care and, um, all that stuff. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and so that book is available on Amazon. Yes. As of right now, it's available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, target.com, all those places. Um, you can pre-order it and it'll be ready November 25th, 2019. That's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on the book going for the second time. And I think the updates that you made to it made an already great tool, um, even greater. Thanks. So 
I feel like you've already given a ton of really good advice. Um, so without, uh, you said, get in community earlier, early and find support early. So outside of that, what would you tell current or prospective foster parents? Like what's the, what's like the, the thing that you just wish people would know? That's not what you already said. It has to be a new thing. A new thing. That's the, that's the rule. I guess I would say to trust the process and trust that God is in control of what's going to happen. You're going to fall in love and you're going to have your heart broken when they leave your child. You know, you're going to fall in love with this child that you know is going to go through more transition and possible trauma even after they leave your home. And so there's so much unknown, so much to worry about and be scared of, but just trusting that God is in control is the greatest thing you can do. What you're going through, what they're going through, it's not God's plan B. If we believe that he's Mm -hmm. sovereign over all of it, then he knows the outcome. He knows what the end of your bad day is going to look like. He knows what the end of their case is going to look like. He knows how hard that goodbye is and then how beautiful the restoration after that will be, whatever that looks like, whenever it comes. So just trusting that God is who he says he is will get you through. Cool. Awesome, Jamie. Well, okay. thank you for joining us. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I appreciate all the stuff that you've done for, for foster families and adopted families. I think that your book is incredibly useful. Uh, and I, I've heard that from a lot of people. So uh, I was honored that you would agree to be on our podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Make sure to follow Jamie on social media at Jamie Sandifer. That's J-A-M-I-E-S-A-N-D-E-F-E-R. And visit her website at jamiesandifer.com. Thank you for joining us. Um, And for more information on the Orphan Care Network, please visit us at orphancarenetwork.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Orphan Care Network. Thanks.